Welcome to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. My name is Brandon Adams, lifestyle entrepreneur and inventor, passionate about helping others with creating something great and becoming unforgettable. Each week we discuss helpful tips on becoming a successful entrepreneur and interview other entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Our goal is to help take your business and lifestyle to the next level. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brennan T. Adams, and on today's show, we have Jim Benton. Jim is based down in Fayetteville area, Arkansas. You're going to learn about manufacturing, and this is great for people out there, especially people who have an idea and they really have no idea what it takes to develop your product, get it manufactured, and have it selling on the market. Jim will go through all the details of the process of developing your idea, and he'll really get deep into manufacturing. People don't realize that when you purchase a piece of tooling for manufacturing, it's very expensive, and things could go wrong. I mean, there's a lot of details to this, because you're mass-producing your idea. It doesn't just happen like that. You've got to have a piece of machinery in a factory that makes your product, makes thousands and even millions of your product and have to come out the same form every single time. So you're going to hear all about that today. You're going to hear the process and also you'll be surprised to hear that more manufacturing is coming back to the U.S. You'll get everything in the manufacturing field. So I'm excited for you to hear today's show. You'll get a lot out of it. Before we get started, I want to let you know about my book, Keys to the Crowd, Unlocking the Power of Crowdfunding. You can pre-order it on Amazon now. It is coming out September 7th, which is coming very quick. Wow, time flies. I don't know where time went. I can't believe we're almost to September. It goes fast, but I urge you, check out the book, order it today. It's a great book. Not only for crowdfunding, but it gives you a lot of insight about raising money, whether it's a fundraiser or even for your own business idea if you're going to go out and get investment. I give you everything about my own Kickstarter campaign, everything I did, how to make it go national, and all the tips along the way. And you'll get to hear about my secret fund formula to crowdfunding success, which I go on TV across the country now and let everybody else know about it. But you get to see it in detail. So check out the book. You won't regret it. I guarantee you, you're going to love the book. I spent a lot of time on it. It means a lot to me. I know you'll love it. So let's jump into today's show with Jim Benton, where you will get to hear about manufacturing. Let's get started. On today's show, we have Jim Benton. Jim, how's it going, bud? It's going good. Thank you, Brandon. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you. Starting off, uh, I know you have a, a large background. You have a uh, background in manufacturing, product development. I want to start off by hearing where you came from, where you started out, and how it led you to where you are today. Okay, Brandon. Um, I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, my grandfather was a gadget guy. Um, he was probably my early, uh, earliest mentor and, uh, I would go to work with him at his shop and learned a lot of just, uh, 
mechanical aspects of machines and, and automobiles and airplanes and tractors and all the things that guys yeah. like to, to play with, you know. And uh, and that just kind of stuck with me uh, going to school. I'd always take shop class and industrial arts and drafting and, and all the things that uh, were pre-internet and pre-computers yeah, exactly. uh, that, that we could do back then. And then um, – but I always had a flair also just – in my personality for sales and so I really gravitated towards having a um, product that I could build and also sell exactly and so I've done that many times over in my life and and started working you know actually selling donuts at uh, the age of 10 years old <laughs> and so you know I wound up buying all my own bicycle parts and Levi's and tennis shoes from about that age on. <laughs> uh, but anyway, once I uh, got out of school, my father had a little manufacturing company, and we moved that company from Colorado Springs to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I became kind of his guy that, you know, would install equipment, do electrical work, yeah. repair and maintain the equipment, and also run his plant. And, you know, we had... 40 or 50 employees and you know it was about a 20 million dollar company and and uh, somebody had to do all the work and so I kind of was tasked with uh, putting all that together every day so you were surrounded by it at a young age yeah I mean yeah, you I've grew always, up around it I've always been around making things and improving uh, the conditions of how things are made yeah uh, the, the tooling and the machines that you use and sometimes making my own machines and fixtures and things like that to to make things easier and more repetitive so that's you know i eventually you know went to uh work for a company called pace industries we we're aluminum and zinc die casters yep um went to work there at uh in 1990 doing about uh, 57 million a year in sales and today it's a 450 million dollar company wow 10 divisions and four, uh, three or four tool and die shops, two divisions in Mexico. It's a pretty good-sized company. I worked there for about 20 years. Um, and then I did some product development work in the medical industry and had a little medical device company that uh, marketed, developed and marketed a, uh, an, uh, a device that helped um, keep bacteria from spreading in operating rooms uh, in surgical environments. Um, so you, you invented that? Uh -huh. You developed it yourself? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was kind of my first big take in a product to market. And did what it was that like? It was very, very, very difficult in the medical industry. When they say it takes 15 years to get a drug approved, it takes about, s it can take anywhere from three to seven years to get a medical device approved and mine was very very simple it took me three years to get oh wow get lucky medical there that's yeah. awesome yeah i get it cleared through fda um but anyway um so how well did it sell i mean did you stick it, with that actually i sold that company and so i've sort of lost track of how it's selling but i got it approved and it's <laughs> on the market and and they're selling it but you patent yeah i imagine yeah sure it was patented. that's awesome yeah so anyway um I did that for a couple, you know, that three-year period, and uh, I also worked up in Pennsylvania for a company called uh, PHB, which was also an aluminum and zinc uh, die-cast company. We did a little bit of plastics work there, 
um, about four or five million dollars a year in plastic sales. Yeah. And then, um, then I found this place. I found Polytech, and you've I, been here how many years now? Two years, and um, I came and looked at Polytech, and I went and spoke with uh, one of my best friends that also worked at Pace Industries. He'd been there for seventeen years, and was their chief uh, marketing officer, and so went from a very senior position at a very large company to kind of joining with me as. 50% partner and coming and, and, and taking on Polytech Plastic Molding, um, which is, you know, at the time we bought the company, it was about a $5.5 million company. Yeah. And we, we're budgeted now this year. We, we did $6.2 million last year. We'll do uh, about seven point five to $8 million this year. And then uh, our goal, uh, and we have the ability and the markets to support this, um, to develop this company into about a twenty million dollar company by the year two thousand twenty. Wow! So that's that's our goal, and we're tracking for that. We're well, about twenty percent a year. What was your transition like when you bought this existing uh, manufacturing company? Well, we thought it was going to be fairly simple because it is a sister technology to die casting. You know, the machines open and close two halves of a mold, and you're injecting molten yep. material into them, and so the the similarity is is there but it pretty much stops there yeah um, where in the aluminum and, and zinc business you've got maybe 10 alloys to think about and to plan for and that are applicable to virtually any product line there are tens of thousands of resins and polymers in the plastics industry and we in fact stock about 350 different oh, wow. resins here at, at our that's facility for the custom work we do for people all over the country. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize there was that many. <laughs> oh, if you can think of it, there's a plastic made for it. So one thing I want to talk about is people always, when they think manufacturing, they think, oh, you need to go overseas. It's going to be cheaper. Tell me about the advantages of having it domestic here in the U.S. versus overseas. Well, aside from just the distance, um, which has several aspects that, that affect your business and, and the flow of material. But as you can imagine, just the, the time and the distance, the communication, the, you know, when you're sleeping here, they're working there and vice versa. So communicating is always a two-day affair um, or at least, at least 24 hours. You never hear back before 24 hours usually. Um, they have a culture of manufacturing that they're used to yeah. And so, uh, like, you can order something and send them a print, and if what they have to work with doesn't fit the print, they'll change the product and the material, or both, to fit what they have the capability for, and it'll look right, but it may not always be right, uh -huh. and you don't have the control of... That's scary. Of, uh, what goes into the product that you uh, have made in another country. Um, and it's not necessarily China. China has its offenses of having done that. They're trying to straighten that up. But they, depending on who you have, uh, do your manufacturing there, you encounter those issues, those content issues, cyclically. Um, because sometimes uh, when you send your product to a company, they will have 
someone else manufacture it and they'll broker it back to you and you think they you made they they had it made there and they just outsourced but it was outsourced it. somewhere else and there's a lot of that that goes on where you get three or four outsourced uh, suppliers that are all making the same thing and they all make it just a little bit differently so coloration is difficult decoration yeah. is difficult to, to match um, if you have hard tooling in your molding product generally you would think that that would be consistent and gen excuse me generally it is but um, we've even run into uh, occurrences where the product came from two different places, two different molds. Wow. And you really only That's paid That's an issue. Yeah, you only paid for one mold and thought it was running in one location, but they'll oftentimes make duplicate molds, um, and that way they have their outsourced people teed up yeah. with a tool in their facility ready to produce if they need it. And so you don't always know if you're getting it from the same place all the time. Do you think uh, in the near future – manufacturing is going to start coming back to the U.S. versus China? Yeah, I attended an executive forum in uh, Orlando uh, last year, and they had an economist from Harvard that has studied the escalation and inflation of costs in China, and, and they used China as an example because they are the, our biggest trade partner. Yeah. Um, and for plastic injection molded parts – of a pretty broad base of applications, uh, everywhere from automotive to aerospace to uh, consumer products, consumer products being the biggest uh, sector there. But um, the labor rates um, and all of the inflationary components were indicating that um, with if nothing really changed in China, that the cost of ownership of a particular part would converge with U.S. pricing sometime this year in 2015. And this was a year, a little wow. over a year ago. Wow. So their comment was, his, his uh, exact comment was, there was a lot of people at this forum that were manufacturers, and he said, folks, if you're not already moving back to the U.S. today, you're too late because the U United States has lost so much of its capacity that the capacity that's in the United States today is going to be quickly taken up by people moving back from China wow. for economic purposes. That's good for the U.S. Yeah, it is good for, for the United States, and as long as we can rebuild and backfill our, our capabilities in manufacturing. Um, that's what we're all struggling to do today. Uh, we have ordered new equipment. Uh, we're gearing up for the rush. Yeah. Uh, we feel like, I mean, we have, you know, been instrumental in, in assisting three or four customers, you know, very large customers, uh, repatriate their product lines to the U.S. and <coughs> so far been very successful with it. And, of course, big retailers are not going to pay more uh, for instance, Walmart is wanting to repatriate uh, $250 billion in product purchases in for uh, U.S. repatriated uh, products over the next 10 years. and So they prefer actually having the Made in USA. Yeah, they really do. Their, their buyers are incentivized 
to first and foremost seek out U.S. made products and encourage and support the efforts of the companies that are, are currently manufacturing in China or Asia or yeah. you know wherever. We use the word China synonymously for anybody but the U.S. it seems like. But, uh, and, and they're not, not always uh, the ones who are targeted for rep- repatriating parts. Yeah. But, uh, but like I said, they're our largest trade partner, so people talk about them a lot. But um, So tell me, uh, mm-hmm. what do, I want to know some struggles. In product development, it can be, I mean, <laughs> very frustrating. What are some of the main struggles you see with product development and dealing with the tooling where you get to the point where you have an item, you produce an item that actually is sellable. Mm-hmm. What are the major things you have seen over the years in that process? Well, I'm going to tell you the biggest struggle that we see by folks who are trying to develop a product is the market that they see their product residing in Yeah, does not always have a sales channel for that product. There are sales channels available, but, you know, for instance, people think that if they can get their product on the shelf at Walmart, they're home free. And I always That's tell not them, true. <laughs> make sure that you have a plan to get it off the shelf at Walmart before you go try to get it on the shelf. Yeah. Because if it doesn't move, you're going to fail miserably and you're going to fail quickly. Walmart is not going to sell your product. They're going to handle your product through the sales that you've already primed the market to receive you have to do marketing yourself to help sell it in their stores absolutely they want you to do more work absolutely you know test market and trial and error and targeted uh merchandise uh strategies yeah those are the things that uh that get products teed up to sell and and Walmart or any mass retailer, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, Sears, none of those companies really have uh, sales for the for your product already geared up. So that, yeah. that comes from, that's the other side of inventing is selling. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and developing the marketing for it. What would you say somebody early on when they're looking to find a manufacturer what questions should somebody ask uh, different manufacturers out there, and how do they know what's the right match for them and their product? Well, do exactly what you've done, I think, Brandon, and that is uh, go visit, um, see what the manufacturing facility looks like, Yeah. Um, see what kind of capabilities it appears that they have, study their website, do some homework, and interview those folks with a commercial um, end in mind because they're going to be a cog in the wheel for your commercial endeavor. They're going to be a big partner. They're going to be a big partner. (laughs) And you want to try to pick manufacturers who are transparent with you and will help you uh, sit down and accomplish your cost goals. And uh, if you do have cost sensitivity, you need to let the manufacturer know what they are yeah. and, and just be open and transparent. 
the, the problem is you don't always get to do that without being taken advantage of. So pick somebody with character to start with and build Be able to believe in the person. Yeah, you, you have to believe the guy can do it, and you have to believe the guy can help you. Yeah. And, and if he has... Uh, he, if he has proven that to you, you've got a great place to start, and fairness will always win out in the end. And also has to probably do depending on the product, right? I mean, versus a consumer product, or maybe it's a, a bigger product that's more complex. That's right. That's right. We have looked at projects that just don't make sense to us, yeah. and w- we're not afraid to say, you know what? Honest truth is we can't make any money making your part. Yeah. And if we can't make any money at it, then what's the point of doing wha- it? What's the point of doing it? We really like people and we like to help them and we do it every day. Yeah. But when it comes down to feeding the families that look to us for support and yeah. and uh, you know that we're tasked with, you know, taking care of these uh Yeah, folks the same goals in mind in line. Yeah, we we have to be able to pay them, and we have to pay them with uh, cash flow that comes from the product development, product sales, product manufacturing that we do here at Polytech. If somebody was to actually have their manufacturing overseas, how do you even go about finding a reputable company? I mean, if you were going to go over there, I guess I understand, but if you didn't travel overseas, how would you know? Well, there are many, many, many of those companies have transplanted uh, offices in the U.S., they recognize the, the uh, trade opportunities, and so they have people on the ground here in the U.S. There are also brokers who are good um, representatives of those companies and their capabilities that live here, uh, that are U.S. companies, and, and they have people with boots on the ground in Asia, say, and, and they have approved sources um, that that they have confidence in and have placed product uh, yeah. work with, and and so they th- there are plenty of people who know um, what market niches uh, they're good at and what companies fit those niches, and uh, unfortunately or, or, or fortunately, uh, if you have the time to and the resources to uh, research those. Uh, companies you really have to do that that's 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 it takes a lot of time it it takes a lot of time effort you'll talk to 10 of them and and land one now somebody dealing with tooling we were talking earlier how do you know how big of tooling to purchase for the capacity of output i understand if you have more traction on your product Mm -hmm. you want to make a bigger tool but how do you determine at the beginning how big a tool you make and what i mean by that is by the capacity it can produce in a year or a week's time? Well, you want to look at the um, capacity of the tool first, uh, as you alluded to. The tool, tooling capacity will sometimes, uh, it, it'll either do the job or it won't do the job. There's very, it, and, and it's just arithmetic. Um, yeah. If your sales are going to be a certain level, then you are going to need a tool that is, uh, has a, enough cavitation and capability to produce that amount when you need that. Um, if you have to have them, if your product is seasonal at all, and you have to have them all within a, 
a, a quarter and a half during the year. You can build up inventory. Yeah, you've got to understand what your tool capacity is so that you know when to start making product for that quarter and a half of sales activity. Um, and, and it can be done in steps. Tooling is pretty versatile. Um, you, can, you can plan ahead by yeah. buying uh, possibly an oversized um, mold base. Yeah. And just partially fill that mold base today with enough to do the job, knowing with an eye for the future and expansion and higher uh, volume requirements, then you can add pieces into that mold that will eventually uh, be, you know, that will eventually uh, match your requirements. Now, for people out there that have no idea what it costs to purchase tooling, which I've I found out, and at the beginning, I really was blinded by it. What's the cheapest tooling you've seen, and what's the most expensive tooling you've seen for products? Yeah, well, I can uh, I can give you a wide range for that because I've seen lots and lots of tooling today, yeah. especially in the diecast industry. But in the, in the plastics industry, I have built uh, complete molds, very small and very simple, for thirty six hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay, and then. Uh, Which is very cheap. That doesn't very happen. Very cheap. That's yeah. right. Very cheap. Um, that would be just a modular section that would you know fit onto a a standard uh, mold base, um, all the way up to. I've built tools for transmission cases on automobiles and large trucks that run into over a million dollars. Wow! For, for a mold for that, <laughs> so. That would be an aluminum uh, cast mold, but uh, so you know, lots of lots of hundred thousand dollar tools, lots of two hundred thousand dollar tools, yes, but lots and lots of fifteen to forty thousand dollar tools also. I was gonna say that uh, anywhere from that twenty five to fifty is kind of more average. It, it is for a regular product. I mean, it is, but it's always a hardship and a and you get sticker shock when you see it because it's not at all what you were expecting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, how how much of a tool do you need to make an ink pen, right? Exactly. Well, you'd think with if the ink pen only cost twenty cents, you know, how could the tooling to make it be forty five thousand dollars? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What uh, what is the majority of issues or obstacles you see your customers have struggles that they have with their company starting out? Uh, capitalization and size and yeah. and infrastructure. Um, having the funding yeah yeah I mean if you don't have funding problems there are things like you can't sell to a mass merchant without a DNB number so Dun and Bradstreet has a whole process that they take you through you can get the number real quick but you can't get rated a five very easily without a lot of work uh, to develop your yeah. credit rating um, so that you can even do business because that's an indicator to the retailer of how prepared you are to do business with them. Uh, so then the infrastructure uh, aspect comes into play whereby if they did give you an order, you know, it's hard to process those kinds of numbers and those kinds of details between you and your wife or, you know, with, in, a, in a household or a small business where you don't have you know people for data input and 
order processing and shipping and receiving and you know all of the infrastructure it takes to actually um, bring a product into reality and then put it in the market so the size of of your company is a as a real challenge and, and a lot of people use us for their factory yeah um, we are their factory we are their infrastructure we are their fulfillment uh, resource um, we are also their product developers where their Product designers. They're everything. We, we have engineering, you know, <coughs> group here that uh, has made everything from, you know, painting sundries to uh, taco plates to funnels for packing potato chips to now that that aer aerospace taco parts. plate is what I'm amazed by. Yeah. You guys are selling a boatload of them. I mean. Well, our customer is right here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Yeah. He invented and patented the taco plate, so he doesn't have any competition. <laughs> that, uh, and so he has a um, uh, he has a great model, and 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 we are one of those. Uh, for for him, we are his infrastructure. You guys are and about to do a rollout in every Walmart in North America. That's correct? right. We're we're running equipment today producing taco plates in five different colors. They'll go into 24 uh plate kits, uh packages that go to Walmart stores and yeah. and we we just did a uh, a test run in 750 stores through about 21 no, 29 distribution centers around the US. Uh that went very well. Uh, our customer is very happy with the way that one went. Yeah. Uh, Walmart's very happy with it. And so they have uh, placed their first order to stock every store in the United States, uh, about 3,800 stores. So we'll have taco plates in every uh, Walmart store within the next 30 days. And anybody listening, if you don't know a taco plate, I mean, go to any Walmart. If you ever had the problem with having your taco full over, this holds your tacos in place. I mean, very simple. I always say for inventors, be simple. Mm -hmm. This guy did, and I mean, look, it's a huge success. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the success stories that was uh, very unlikely. Uh, yeah. And he was underfunded when he started. It's still today. Him and his wife are are the company. Um, he uses us for virtually every resource. Yeah. Um, but that's just you know that's what we do, and so it it makes it easy for him, and it's. It's just another day at the office for us, um, and and he um, has enlisted some merchandising folks to help him with the Walmart transition, and that's gone very well because they are very well equipped to uh, to handle the uh, the business side of dealing with uh, Walmart and mass merchants like Walmart. That's a good success story. I always like seeing people yeah. make it happen. Yeah. I mean, that's what so it's all about. Yeah. So we talked about. Uh, the size of the company and the resources that you have available are some of the big obstacles for s startup companies and, and inventors. Um, the uh, infrastructure and uh, the, the knowledge base it takes yeah. and, and everything to, uh, to actually take a product to market in volumes that um, make it worth it. Um, and then the other thing is funding. Um, if you're Funding's huge. Yeah, I if mean you're underfunded and, and all you can do is buy the uh, tool and make your first order 
and then hope it sells or you go out and try to sell that first order um, it's a, it's a really an uphill battle because when somebody does buy it they don't want to pay you until 30 days or 60 day terms yeah. uh, so you've got to float that cash flow and and all of the costs of producing that order um, for as long as it takes to get paid um, there the the cash demands on a startup business are very intense and unplannable in fact uh, very much unexpected yeah yeah if you've never done it it's it's a ride you don't want to have to take without a lot of money <laughs> so over the years you've learned a lot what have you learned the most your top uh, let's say your biggest lessons learned top three lessons learned over the years in product development and manufacturing well I can tell you that the very first thing that I came to realize as um, as confident as I thought I was in the industries that I served and worked within I, I quickly figured out that I never you get in a, a room full of people I never had the best idea but the best product would always come out of a kind of a community effort and a team yeah. uh, sharing session of, of getting the best resources all around the table putting the product out there on the table and whether it's a, a napkin drawing or a 3D model, you know, that's been served up on on Katia uh, or, or any of the modeling softwares out there, um, you really, I guess, the, the biggest thing I've learned is that it takes a team to bring about the best product. That one guy that uh, there's a great idea guy has never got the best idea at the time he needs it. You got to surround yourself with a lot of very smart people, yeah, especially right. in development. That's right. And then the the other thing that I would would say is really really important that I found, um, and and probably our best tool at actually accomplishing these repatriating programs, that is transparency. If a company really wants to bring a product back from offshore, they have to commit to somebody to uh, open up what it is that has to happen for that to occur. And, and they need to know from people like us, what do we have to have in order for that, in order to help them. And so transparency has landed us more business, regardless of how much you have to show the customer about your own operation. Yeah. We really don't mind doing that because it's just honest and fair. And which kind of leads me to the third thing, and that is be honest and fair. If, if you get a guy that, I agree. Uh, that you can be honest and fair with, you can accomplish what you want to do. Uh, Otherwise, you're just lying to yourself. Yeah, we can, we can quote all day long and throw it over the fence, and if we never hear back from them, it's because there wasn't a transparency, there wasn't an intentionality to repatriate a product exactly. or, or, or to accomplish this this mutual goal. So if you have a mutual goal and you trust one another, at the end of the day, it comes down to trust. At some point, you have to trust somebody to make the deal. Exactly. Yeah. I want to talk more about you. Uh, we all need mentors, especially in, like we said, you need a mastermind group, smart people around you for developing a product. Who are your mentors, and 
how have they impacted you over the years? Well, <coughs> at the beginning of this, we spoke about my grandfather. You know, he basically set a course for me about mechanical things and and um, and being able to explain mechanical things to people. Um, then through life, I've always tried to um, become friends with and and uh, engage in mentorship programs with uh, gentlemen that I admired and respected, uh, businessmen, uh, clergy folks, um, and just people, you know, that had skills that I didn't have. Exactly. And so, you know, I've had several mentors in, in, uh, in business that taught me patience and it's hard in this business. It is. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to be patient because things just take time. And there's too many um, aspects to any one of these programs to, to accomplish, you know, in very short time. It, most things that uh, in product development or merchandising, they just take time to, to develop and, and to yeah. bring about. Um, so... You know, it, it is important to find mentors in um, in life, and I'll tell you that uh, there hasn't ever been. I, I never went out and looked for a particular uh, person in a particular field, but I found several people who I knew I could trust, yeah, and that I admired, and that I I felt had uh, very good character, and. And and some of them were just really really smart, and and were guiding, uh, a guiding force for pe for, for me to understand what's important in business, but um, but basically I've probably picked out more than most people, probably fifteen or twenty men that that have led me into different areas of of life that uh, that have helped you know build the type of uh, a person it takes to to have a business and help other people. It takes a lot of networking, it contacts, does. It takes a lot of and relationships. Yeah, that's exactly right. You build those relationships and things happen over time and uh, again, it's having finding people with good character yeah. that you can trust and uh, that's it. Uh, what I want to ask you, uh, what was your lowest point in your life and how did you overcome it? I know in product development and this business, I mean... <laughs> ups and downs. W tell me about your lowest point. Well, I would say one of my lowest points might be a failure to um, accomplish what the customer asked us to do. Um, if it just wound up not being in our wheelhouse and we have to walk away from an opportunity that we really wanted to, to try to make work, it's that's very disappointing for someone like me who just wants to say yes to everyone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I never made a nickel by saying no. I might have saved that nickel, but but I never really, um, you know, I always try to say yes. And I, I, I'd say my lowest point would be missing an opportunity for people to, yeah. to help them get their ac goal accomplished and, and for us to make something that, you know, that they need made, but there's just, for whatever reason. You can't get it done. You just can't get it done. There's just not a way to make it happen. Yeah. And and th that's a very disappointing time. I mean, we've all, we've all had personal 
lows, you know, losing a job or losing a loved one or, or you know, going through life changes. Yeah. Um, those things happen to all of us, and we all have to deal with them uh, uh, as they come. Going gets tough, but tough get going. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's right. What would you consider to be your greatest skill after everything you've done to date? You know, I honestly don't think I have a great skill. Uh, <laughs> I have always been known in every company I've been associated with, and, and this one is no different, and that is that I'm a generalist. Um, you know, personally, I, I have an interest in all aspects of our business, all aspects yeah. of any business I've ever worked in. And um, I find just about as much satisfaction out of um, doing tool and die work or helping helping our guys uh, build. Enjoy the whole process. I, I enjoy that process. I like walking the floor. I like uh, troubleshooting machinery. I like selling products. I like um, doing seminars, going to seminars. I like, uh, I'm not much of an accountant. I understand the numbers, and I like yeah. I watch the numbers, but it, you it value the whole process. I, I like of the whole this. thing, but I, I'm really not that good at anything. But you get a lot of smart people by you, yeah. so that's what you need. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, a couple more questions: What are your three top books that you would suggest to other entrepreneurs out there? Three books that, if you were to die tomorrow, that you would want to leave behind for somebody to read. Well, this is going to sound kind of interesting, um, but there there is a, a book out today called Turn the Ship Around, and it uh, talks about the, um, it's a true story about uh, an accounting of this uh, uh, naval officer who was a submariner, and the naval hierarchy is basically a top-down leader-follower mentality. And he was tasked with taking over the uh, worst-ranked sh- uh, submarine, nuclear submarine in the fleet. Yeah. And I think there's like maybe 35 or 40 nuclear submarines in the U.S. fleet. And his was the, the very worst one, and he was one of the top performers in officer's training school. And all of the training that he had uh, been involved in and worked under uh, other uh, admirals, uh, he was very confident that he could uh, change the culture of the naval hierarchy from a leader-leader or from a leader-follower to a leader-leader. And so he tells the story of how he took this one ship in less than two years um, from being the worst in the uh, American uh, naval fleet to the very best. And uh, I think I've heard about that. Yeah, book. The yeah. he has many rec- has you know has had many uh, set many records in um, the the guys that worked under him going on to become officers or the this job satisfaction of the work that they do, um, all of the things that uh, have to do with building a culture in your organization. It's a great book. It's a great yeah. book about building leaders. Um, Any other ones? 
you know, I haven't read uh, or a listen. Lot of I other do audiobooks, but yeah, yeah, I do. I'll, I'll tell you another great book that uh, it was a, it was an audio book. To your point, um, it's the uh, a biography of uh, uh, George H. Bush, read by his son George W. Bush. Really? Yeah, and you know it, it talks about the value and character of a man in a place of leadership and the day-to-day struggles uh, that that uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush uh, had as president. And, and, you know, the pinnacle of his career was to be the president, of course. But, you know, he failed miserably in so many elections that they all forgot about that once he became president. But he struggled for 40 years to become president uh losing as many elections as he won and just the resilience and and the character and the uh the relationship management and relationship development that uh that that president uh developed over his whole lifetime is just amazing and it's a great book for a guy to read that i'll check that out yeah that just wants to be inspired to to do great things and to understand that it's not it's not being great that gives you life satisfaction but it's it's supporting great people and and having great relationships and 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 maintaining great family relationships and uh that's so true yeah i say that all the time yeah that's that's exactly right so that 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 was another really good book just for a good read uh, an inspiration. That it? Uh, well, I'd say the best life lesson book on earth is the Bible. So you yeah, know, true. Amen yeah, to that. You pick that up and read it a little bit. You'll learn a lot. Especially me, <laughs> everything I've done. <laughs> we all need that. <laughs> so, last question I ask everybody on the show: What are your three top successful tips to give to other young entrepreneurs out there for achieving greatness in life? Be persistent have character, be patient, and don't ever lose, um, don't ever lose that uh, spark that um, takes you from one product to the next, one invention to the next, and then see them through, and, and, and see all of those things through. It builds character. It's good stuff. Yeah. Hey, Jim, thanks for coming on the show. Well, Brandon, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it, and, and yeah. uh, I wish you well, too. Well, thank you, bud. Hey, we're going to help you get your product up and running, too. <laughs> Amen to that. I'm ready <laughs> for that. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, everybody. This is today's show. Uh, you guys know what to do. Go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable because, you know what, life's too short not to. I'm Brandon Adams. Have a great day, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Jim Benton. I really enjoyed speaking to the gym. I even got to see his whole factory. I got to tour the factory and see everything. And when I go into a factory, I like to ask questions about everything because I want to learn the whole process. People do not realize what it takes to develop a product. And when you see the logistics of it and see what actually it takes, the next time you go shopping, you're going to find yourself 
looking at things in a whole new way. You're going to be like, how, how did they do that packaging? How did they make that product? How did they get the mold for that? That had to be an expensive mold. And I look at that, and especially the taco plate. That is something that's in his factory. They're producing tens of thousands of this a week. It is in every Walmart around the country. Check it out. It's called the taco plate. I think it comes in a pack of three. What it is, is if you ever ate tacos before, you have the problem where they fall apart or they don't stay upright. Well, it has three slots in the plate that actually holds the taco up. Simple idea, but hey, it's awesome. People are buying it by the boatload. So that is just one example of a success story at Polytech. If you have any ideas and you're looking to manufacture them, Polytech is in it's right near Bentonville, Arkansas, in Fayetteville area, and they'd be happy to help you out. I've saw their factory. They're a great group of people, and they're doing some great things. So now before I go, I just want to remind you, I'm still looking for a couple people to join my team for the Young Entrepreneur Convention we are doing. We're doing a crowdfunding campaign in November, which is going to be awesome. You just wait. We are going to have... 30 days of nonstop campaigning, promoting on a Kickstarter campaign. We're going to do well over six figures. We have a powerhouse team right now, over a dozen people on board helping us make this a viral sensation. And this event's going to be in 2016. It's something you're not going to want to miss. But I'm looking for a few more people to be a part of the team. If you're interested, send me an email, brandon at brandontadams.com, and what I'll do is I'll review your profile, and we'll see if you fit for being on our team. And if you do, you're in for a ride, my friend. It's going to be a lot of fun. So send that out to me. I appreciate it. I'm looking for a couple more people, and that's it for today, everybody. You know what time it is. It is time to go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable. Because life is too short not to. I'm Brennan T. Adams. Have a great day, everybody.